0: Welcome back to another episode of my podcast. Woman in Media, hosted by Chanel on your KCSS. Now, on my past podcast episodes, I have featured my professors. I have featured also some networking connections. But this time, I have a friend, a former co worker. She is a videographer, a filmmaker, a producer, a storyteller. Oh my gosh, she probably has way more titles than that. But she deserves all the acknowledgments and that is my girl Allison Swig. Woo, woo, woo. So you're going to hear a lot about her, how I know her. We actually did work together. Um, we also discuss about her career, just me stalking her on LinkedIn as usual, knowing your value as a woman, again, networking and more. So enjoy UK CSS listeners. Do you ever notice that when sometimes I'll hear like my voice messages? I'm like, that's not me. Why do I sound completely way off? That is the whole reason I stay behind a camera because
1: it's not the visual. I don't think I look that bad on camera. It's the fact that I sound like a whole different person, like bones in my head are shaking and vibrating. And in my head, I sound like I have a really rich, dark, awesome voice. And then I hear my actual recording and I'm like, what the
0: hell Like, who put a freaking filter on me? Yeah, yeah. You said dark voice, and my first thought was Morgan Freeman. I'm like, you got a Morgan
1: Freeman voice? My internal, man, is just like a real smooth, jazzy, black man voice, for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What fascinates you about working behind the scenes, being behind camera? For me, it's the messaging.
1: I think for too long, too many guys were in charge of the messaging and there were too many ditzy dumb blondes on screen. Being a little blonde thing, you know, you want to break down those stereotypes. You want to have that conversation. And that's what's so powerful about radio and music and film is that not only is it self-expression, but it's reflected in other people. But the messaging has to go through a filter. You know, we all have to like it and puzzle it into this perfect message and for too long we had one perspective of the world and that was a male perspective so now being on the other side you know having those opportunities to be like hey guys who's running this show like don't you think the girl would actually do this in real life and not do this stupid thing that you think is cute and funny but is actually really demeaning to someone like me like to be able to have that power (laughs) I guess is really exciting I mean I love the art of it I love going to see beautiful things. I love to capture beautiful things. I love the artistry of a rack focus or a dolly shot. I love that part of it. But all those little niche aesthetic things help tell a very powerful story. The people behind the scenes, if you can get a good group of people behind the scenes that really want to tell a good, authentic story, and then you finish telling that story and you look back and go this is true to what I believe, or this is true to what I feel. And I feel like this is a good thing to put out into the world. It's like making a baby. It takes about the same amount of time. It's the same sleepless nights. It's just, it's your baby and you're proud of it and it can go off into the world and change it and do something amazing with it. And I think that's the the big power with this medium.
0: The last time we worked together, oh gosh, was it that small Concord Plaza right next to the Starbucks that smelled like urine? I mean, it might've been,
1: I worked a lot of them,
0: but I actually think it might've been
1: something out in like Pleasanton or Livermore. I don't know exactly what it was, but I seem to remember working out that way with you.
0: It's been such a long time. And I felt like I worked with you like once in a blue moon, but every time yeah. I got to work with you, I was like, yay, Allison. <laughs> Seriously, you're like one of my favorite people. Cause I felt you were like an older sister who had wise <laughs> stories to tell me. Oh, I'm so glad I'm wise. <laughs> Oh glad I've never been told that I always kind of go through life just fake it till you make it girl that is my <laughs> motto we met together working at the radio station for Alpha Media you were actually working there when it was Coast Radio correct yeah we also went to the same school but just different years San Francisco State yeah, <laughs> <laughs> how did you know that you wanted to work in media you know it was
1: really funny when I out of high school I had no clue what I wanted to do And I did the route where it was like, I had good grades, but I didn't want to waste time going to a four-year when I had no direction. So I went to DVC, did that community college life, and thought when I transferred to San Francisco that I actually wanted to be a zoology major. Yeah, I wanted to do, I thought big animals were cool. I was an only child, so I grew up with pets. And I thought that was like the way to go. And then I looked at the math requirements and I was like, whoa, I've been rolled out. Can't do that one. Definitely not going to do that. They require you to do some sort of elective. Kind of a core class. Everybody did human sexuality, right? Everybody wanted that class. So that was super impacted. And I was like, I don't want to fight anybody on that. So I will take like TV and film was like one of them that you could take. And it was like a critical thinking humanities and get on to like something else, find out what my calling is. And walked into that TV studio and just went, this looks like so much fun. And I was already like, you know, being an only child, you're kind of raised on TV and film. And anyway, so I was kind of like, I already have a pretty good depth of field of like, stuff I liked, but the, how it was made was something amazing. And the funny thing was the first class I ever took, the professor walked in he was like, if you love TV and you love film and you came here because you think you're going to be studying something you absolutely love. I'm sorry to tell you, but I'm going to ruin it for you for the rest of your life. And sure as hell they did. I cannot watch something without critiquing the lighting or the camera movements. Now, like everything now has become so more in depth. And I've noticed that with my friends and stuff like, oh, have you watched this series? And I'm like, I can't get through the first like five minutes of it. Like for so many other reasons, you're just such a a heightened person <laughs> dealing with media. I don't hate it. But yeah, I'm definitely no fun to watch anything with anymore.
0: Well, so you're saying that you can't watch a show without or a movie without critiquing it. And, you know, those people also went to film school, too. So, like, what is it that they're getting wrong? <laughs> It's not that they're getting wrong. I think it really is just kind of stylistically,
1: it's style differences. And also for me, people and stories, especially American storytelling, we love the hero. We give them very predictable challenges. So if you're aware of it, or if you've studied it enough, you can kind of see the influences of where the story is going. So for instance, like Breaking Bad, when that first came out, my husband was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I sat there for like three episodes and I was like, I know it, it needs to run its course and it's fantastic and it's shot well, but I could already see the problems lining up for him and where they wanted to explore the story. And the fact that I had to wait through five or six episodes to get there just didn't make it. I was like, get to me when like more is out there so I can binge it. And cause I just, I don't want to wait a year to have the problem that I already foresee coming. You can't be so naive when you're watching it, when you have all this information up here.
0: Yeah. And you know what? I was going through your LinkedIn. I think it's so funny. You're like, what am I supposed to prepare? I'm like, girl, I'm the one that's prepping. (laughs) (laughs) Never been on this end of things. I don't (laughs) know what it's going to be like to edit it. I feel bad for you. I know, right? But I think audio editing is way easier than video editing. I'm trying to learn video editing through iMovie because it's free and it's on my laptop. But I also think like, am I even doing this right? And I, I still haven't gone to the Apple store for them to like critique me. Like, I feel like I'm just doing the very basics of video editing. Like, what more can I do with my outdated iMovie? Everyone
1: should learn video editing, sound editing with like a basic set of tools and master that and then start throwing in curveballs and other things and building upon that. Because it really like if you go straight into like motion graphic designing without having any understanding of how to do like a good base editing, just straight linear editing even, then you're kind of just creating a lot of bad habits and a lot of weird. There's a reason there's a structure. There's a reason that editing has a story type structure, a narrative structure. And if you're just kind of experimenting with all the tools at your fingertips, everyone should take that route. And technology is so readily available that people miss that step. And then they get into the professional world and they're just like hot messes to work with. They don't have a good workflow. They're having to learn on the fly. Lots of mistakes happen here and there. I honestly am a huge fan of like, rock that iMovie girl until you are an iMovie master and then come hang out in the Adobe suite afterwards. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, and I hate when teachers like, oh, well you need to do industry standard, you know, software like, you know, like GarageBand or iMovie is a joke. People were saying, you gotta learn Pro Tools, you gotta learn Pro Tools, Pro Tools, Pro Tools, Pro Tools. And I'm applying at jobs and nowhere do I see must learn Pro Tools. Like it literally says Adobe or Wide Orbit or these other softwares I've never even heard of that Becca's never even brought up. So now it's like that's Pro Tools has become outdated.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. But if you have a good... like a fundamental understanding of how sound works and what works well and the difference between like the benefits of sound effects or like, I didn't even learn, I guess it's called radio editing for audio until I was in the newsroom. And I was stuck with, you know, I do a commercial that had to be 15 seconds long and, you know, voice actors like, okay, I hope like when I read it, it's 13 seconds. I've got two seconds of wiggle room. And then you give it to a voice actor and it comes back at 22 seconds And there's no place you can kind of really shorten, you take out some of the breaths and whatever, but you're still stuck with like 17 seconds. And then you're like, oh, people run over their sentences. They run words over each other. So if I just cut it and put it over each other and they kind of slur into each other, it still rings in our ears. We can still hear it. And here I've just cut three seconds off of that audio track and now it fits. But I never learned that in Becca. I learned that in the newsroom when all of a sudden there were deadlines and I had to get something on air in 20 minutes.
0: Yeah, and it goes back to the whole fake it till you make it thing. Because there's like a lot of things I didn't learn in Becca. And then it's like, I'm learning more in the real world, like, physically being there, getting some like work experience at, you know, KKQ, you know, all these other internships. But let's talk about your internship because I did oh. stop you on LinkedIn. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, before your radio days, you volunteered for the Wanna Creek TV as well as Indigo Films. Now yeah. I've had this discussion with professors. What is something you wish internships would do better for college students? The
1: want Creek TV. Was I wish I could say that was more of an internship. That was a cold call. I was desperate for more exposure than what I was getting in Becca. I was working for the city of Walnut Creek at the time and didn't realize we had a television station. So I just cold called the guy in charge of the department and said, Hey, I already worked for the city. Do you need extra people, like extra helping hands? And so he's like, Yeah, sure. Come on down. And my main role was running a camera. But I think I caught him off guard because he wasn't used to having help. He was a one man band. And I was like, here, accept me, love me, teach me. And he was like, so caught back on his heel. Bless Matt to death. Great guy. He created an internship for me. So what was really nice about that was I got to see how adaptive you needed to be on set. You know, you, you plan for everything and then things go wrong, or you didn't think of how you were going to use this person, or maybe you thought you're going to show up and need three cameras and you can only get two in. So I don't think he meant to teach me that lesson, but that was almost every shoot that we were at was just like, you could plan to your blue in the face, but you have to be willing to roll with the punches. And that has carried through on every set I've ever been on. And like I said, I don't think he was necessarily, he didn't have a plan for me. Indigo, on the other hand, I actually kind of appreciated that they didn't hold my hand that much. I feel like a lot of internships don't trust an intern to do a lot of things. So they keep you at like making copies or just kind of busy work. So you can see everything happening, but you're not actually experiencing it. I internship with Indigo for almost a whole year. So I kind of within the first couple months got to prove myself and I was thrown just about anything and everything. And the team was really great and we're very inclusive. And I got to do a lot of fun things that wasn't within my duties as an intern, but they were just like, come along. We're doing like an, a rap party for a pilot. We just shot, you should come down and do this. Like I felt very included. I was definitely more of a staff than an intern. Once you find it and you feel comfortable, you don't want to leave it because you're still kind of like learning school stuff and you're kind of learning how they work. And so there's kind of a little bit of a, at least for me, I was kind of like hiding away in my little like I can creative, right. I could take a story and jazz it up. I was kind of joked that I was doing like an old car salesman pitch. Cause they'd give me a, a story, right. Indigo does shows. Like I almost got away with it and wives with knives. They were always doing these like sensationalized murder shows. So they would tell me like, Hey, we want to do some sort of like country fried homicide. So I would like, okay, let me look up Southern murders and I'd have to find actual police reports or news articles, which are completely trying to be unbiased. I mean, we can all be very critical of the news, but, and then give it a narrative and be like, Sandra came home late to find Larry in bed with her sister. It's like, okay, now I got to play it up. And, and that was fun. That was exciting. Once I kind of found that niche and I knew how to do that process, I didn't really want to leave much. So I guess they could have done a better job of pushing me outside of my comfort zone once they saw I'd found one. Cause once I found it, I stayed there. And even after I graduated, they contracted out a couple of times to have me write some more pitches for them. Keeping a student on their feet to get as much experience in a given time is probably the only critique I have of both of those.
0: I'm glad that you had a good experience with interning because you hear some stories where oh they only had me get coffee and it's like well then that's not really an internship because you want to yeah. learn some real skill set to when you do go into the career life with those internships you know you did extensive research so like it it really shows like you know you, you never stop researching even when you're at school you do it in the real world too all the time honestly the better a
1: researcher you are, the better you'll be. I mean, it's funny in the newsroom, it makes sense. It translates over very well. But when I got into corporate America, oddly enough, you get a client that you've never heard of and you have to do these deep dives on like, okay, what are their offerings? What do they specialize in? Because you're picking video that's supposed to represent who they are. And you know nothing about these obscure like pharmaceutical companies. So it's like, oh, again, I got a deep dive. I got to research because you want to put the best video out there. And if you look naive and have no context of what you're doing, it looks bad on you. You look like a bad filmmaker because you always want to know your audience. And no matter where you go, it's like you got to research. What is your audience into? What is your audience like? What nods would they appreciate that they know that you've taken the time to appreciate who they are? I mean, that's why we love watching shows that kind of speak to us, because there is that acknowledgement of who you are as the audience. So research, 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 research will follow you no matter where you go. And I hope that if, you know, as you go on into your career, that it's not even a, Oh, I've got to research. It's that's the exciting part. That's really that helps guide you through what you're creating. You know, it's giving you the roadmap to get to the end product. That's probably my, the easiest part is researching and then finding that creativity within those limits is really what makes you proud of what you made at the end of the day.
0: I also did see, Allison, that you worked for KTVU in Oakland Mm -hmm. as a creative service assistant. Uh, You worked at CBS in Sacramento Mm -hmm. as a promotions producer. Now they've been located in California. Have you always worked in California? Did you ever like relocate elsewhere? Oh, I am born and raised Bay
1: Area. They were surprised when I even consider going to Sacramento. I'm like, oh, I'm still living in the Bay Area. I'll just, I'll just commute to Sacramento. It's fine. (laughs) No, I never had to travel. I've traveled for shoots though. I will say that. I've I've traveled for film shoots and quarterbacking from the Bay Area works really
0: well. So the reason why I want to ask this question because like I was told at San Francisco State, and I'm sure you were too that if you want to make it into this media industry, you have to relocate. But seeing your resume You've stayed local. You stayed in the Bay Area. So do you think it's true whether if you want to make it, do you need to relocate or can you stay in the same area and work your way up? I think I was told by my professors in Becca too that I would have to relocate. But I do
1: remember them saying that if you wanted to kind of fast track your career, relocating was how it was going to do. And I knew that the newsroom, too, I mean, most reporters in smaller markets, have like a two-year shelf life. And then they try to move to a different market, a different state to kind of move up the ladder faster. And that is definitely kind of the status quo is that if you envision yourself as a producer in 10 years, you might have to bounce around wherever the jobs are. And LA and Georgia and Vancouver, all those places are just so inundated with productions that you can kind of get there prove your worth, and then move your way up faster. I will say, because I do have a couple friends who did the LA move, I have a couple news friends who did the New York move, that once you get to these bigger markets, there is definitely more work, but the community feels smaller. And that's kind of why I stayed in the Bay Area because Bay Area making film companies, you kind of go through the same actors, you go through the same like gaffers or production assistants, So you kind of, you know, everybody. And so that kind of makes you feel a little less like a number and a little more like a part of a group and a movement trying to do something. So I have been very appreciative that I can stay in the Bay area. I have a lot of friends who have also stayed in the Bay area, but they stay up here and do a lot of their pitching and creativity. And I think, especially with the pandemic now, everybody's been working from home and have kind of caught up to the technology. So it makes it easier to kind of at least set the groundwork pre-production at home and then just do a four or five day shoot and come back.
0: Yeah, I think this pandemic made everyone realize that you can work from home. And I even, you know, spoke to this other female DJ saying like, well, do you have to relocate? And she's like, well... I do radio. So no, you could easily yeah. do this at home too. So I think it just depends on the specific, you know, job you have. but would yeah. you ever want to relocate or you're just proud to be a Bay area baby? That Bay area baby keeps me pretty
1: set in my ways, but I think the, the current job that I'm at right now allows me to stay and work from home. And I get to travel the world when I need to do a film shoot and then I can come back home. So if I did want to relocate, it would It'd be purely whether or not I just want to save money and pay less taxes. That's but again, I I really love the Bay Area because of how diverse it is. It's really easy to go to like Lake Merritt in Oakland and be inspired. You know, everything on the corner is different and unique, and there's all these different flavors of artwork and expression, and there's a lot of great dialogue that's happening here that really can just inspire a lot of good expression. So Yeah, unless there's something else that speaks or sings to me the same way, I don't see myself leaving anytime soon.
0: Allison, where have you traveled to for work? Well, before
1: the pandemic, I was doing a lot of just national travel. So I'd been to like Philly, I'd been to Atlanta and I went to Seattle. I did a shoot in LA. My last big shoot before the lockdown was in Cabo. So that was really cool doing a surf shoot. And then actually right before the lockdown, I was supposed to do a huge video tour where I was going to go New York city, like the week before they locked down, I was supposed to be in New York city filming. And then we were going to go straight from there to Belgium, and then from Belgium to Mexico City, and then back home. That unfortunately got cut.
0: And you work on different projects, right? To depending on the what the clients ask for. Yeah. So the company that I'm with right now, I'm with the consulting wing for
1: Deloitte, which is just a, a giant conglomerate, like tax consulting, auditing. You know, it's, it's corporate America, but essentially the workflow goes there. Might be a team that wants to pitch something to a company where it's like, hey, your all your HR is like on paper. Everyone's kind of like filling out their time card on a paper sheet or something. And Deloitte might come on and go, hey, you know, we work with workday and SAP and Oracle, and we could help you streamline it and automate it and make it digital. This is how it'll work great for your employees. They can access it on our phone. Like we can just transform everything while you're still working on your front of the store operations will be behind the scenes making this transformation happen. But the way that corporate America pitches these is that they say, hey, everyone give us your bids, but you have an hour to do so. And there's so much that you could fill in an hour, so you want to try to condense it as best as possible. So then they call in the video team and they go, hey, we have a three minute video we want to do that just gives the highlights of everything. And then from there, we'll use that to speak off of, of the things we can do. So then that's when they bring me in and a script and a voiceover. and I'll either shoot interviews or I'll grab stock footage or whatever it might be. I'm kind of making commercials.
0: Yes. You are a video specialist yes. for Deloitte. How did you find that job? My buddy, Mike and I
1: worked together at CBS <laughs> and we worked together on a couple projects. It was funny. He was with our morning show that had just this beautiful brand that was quirky and goofy and just out of the box crazy. If you ever get a chance to watch it, it's it's pretty out of control. It was a bad couple of weeks of the news night where you just get a lot of bad news. You know, sometimes you like to tease nice stories and stuff, but just sometimes there's just been a string of cruddy stories and I was pretty burnt out. My buddy, Mike was like, Hey, I've I've got a commercial. I got to shoot for good day. It's funny. It's quirky. We're going to try to do it as a one shot. Like, why don't you help me with pre-production? And so we sat down and worked together and just gelled we just worked really, really well together. And within like six, seven months, he left and gotten this job at Deloitte and Deloitte at the time didn't see the benefit of having a video team. They were still sending out PowerPoints and trying oh, to get pictures and PowerPoints. <laughs> and so a year and a half later, my manager at CBS got a job with Deloitte. And all of a sudden they were like, oh yeah, we need more people. And then I got a call from Mike and he's like, hey, we have a, an opening in my department and I really want you for it. And I said, oh, okay, well, we'll see. Like This guy's got two Emmys. I'm sure they're not gonna want anything to do with me. I haven't even been nominated. (laughs) My only regret from TV is I never got my Emmy nom. They got me the job and Mike and I work fantastic. And it works well because Deloitte is, at least our team is primarily remote. So like, while I'm in the Bay area, Mike's in Sacramento, my boss is in North Carolina. My counterpart is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So it's good that you know you can work with those people and you've done it before. So that worked out really well for Mike and I is that we kind of are on the same page even without being in the same room.
0: It's all about connection power. Dude, networking, networking. That's yeah. the one thing they don't tell
1: you. Everything's shameless plug all day long. But
0: you know what? I'm going to have to disagree with you because you have been in an award-winning project and that was the film... Love sassy based <laughs> on a true story. Yes. What connected you with that story? Because, okay, for our listeners out there, it's about a Richmond girl who tragically was brutally raped and murdered. So what was it about the story that like, I have to be involved with this project? Oh my gosh,
1: girl, this was insane. Honestly, one of the most trying projects I have ever been on I mean, really cut my teeth on just the whole production. I mean, talk about having nothing. We made this film off of money from a tamale sale, essentially. (laughs) But the reason I signed on for it was because the director, Jay, he was maybe seven or eight years younger than Sessie, but lived in the same neighborhood. So of course, when she was murdered as a child, he just, it resonated with him some girl in my neighborhood had this happen to her. I can't believe it. So when he got older and decided he wanted to write the screenplay, he reached out to Sessie's family. They were still in the neighborhood and he reached out and he was like, can you tell me anything you can about your daughter? Would you be okay if we did that? And they were so honored. And the family invited him over and shared, you know, pictures of her kind of like what she wanted to do. Like we wanted to tell the human story of it. He was able to sit down with them and they were so generous and so just honored that we wanted to tell her story that they held like three or four tamale drives and sold tamales and cupcakes to help fund our film. And they were on set when we were filming, we had to reshoot her um, quinceañera. It's, It's this whole love story where she's kind of an immigrant or child of immigrants. And she wants to just better her life. She's shooting for the stars. She wants to be a lawyer. And she falls in love with a kid who's getting into the gang life. And she sees potential in him to get out of that spiral. And it's kind of them fighting the whole time. And she's kind of chipping away at that. And he's kind of seeing this other world that he could be a part of. And then she's taken away. And we actually were able to have the actual boyfriend on set. So I have this amazing picture of our two actors playing sassy and her boyfriend and the actual boyfriend in the background of the quinceanera is just like one of the extras so just like the family connection for that was just heartwarming to be a part of it and to know what that meant for that family but it was one of the most trying shoots i've ever been on because i was working at ktvu at the time and i would work my full 40 hour work week and then do 14 15 hour shoots on the weekend sometimes going straight from the studio in Oakland to Richmond and starting Friday night and shooting night shoots all the way through to the next day. So it was just long and draining and we were on a shoestring budget. So there was a lot of guerrilla filmmaking going on there and a lot of learning on that one. It was a great experience and the family really appreciated it. And like I said, Jay was really diligent about getting it into every film festival he could get into really blessed to be a part of it. Yeah. Once I was done with it, I, uh, I had to walk away for a while. It was hard. It was really hard to go from a newsroom talking about murder, the same stories. And here you are talking about this girl in the early nineties and nothing's changed. You know, you still have the same issues. You still have the same biases. It was a rough time to go through making that movie. You definitely put a lot of your soul into it. Like everyone loves it. It's really hit a chord with a lot of people. And it was very timely when we made it too, because this was, Got 2013, 2014, that was kind of a big Me Too movement. There was a lot of that conversation being had at the time, so it was very timely.
0: Now, where can our listeners be able to watch this?
1: Yeah, I think you can find it on Amazon now.
0: What womanly advice would you give to a female trying to make it into media?
1: Having been in a newsroom, you know, corporate America is a little bit more, I guess a little less male-dominant but media is very male dominant and you got to have thick skin. You really do. I really wish I could say that we live in a world where there isn't this expectation that women should hold the script and take notes because they're detail oriented, but you can't hold a camera because that's technology and you shouldn't touch that. But we are at a weird spot where there's this generation coming in who wants to do the camera work, who wants to do the motion graphics, who wants to do the things that aren't stereotypically female And we have an older generation who's still calling the shots. And unfortunately, there is dialogue and discourse being had, but people still fall back on bad habits. And so you just, I don't want to say you have to roll with the punches and just let it happen. You can definitely speak up for yourself. Unfortunately, that is the minefield we have to walk through, but people are aware of that minefield now. And that is fantastic. That is hope. There is room for conversation and dialogue. It's still hard, but unfortunately that is still part of the game. But there's a lot of us out there who are doing absolutely amazing things and are kind of proving the boys wrong. So leave that door open for us. And I think that's the best we can do as stewards of this profession is just continue to give girls a platform and a place and allow us to fail and pick ourselves back up and just keep breaking down that wall.
0: Okay, so Allison, aside from being passionate about what you do in the field of media, you're also passionate about fitness because I've seen your workout videos, girl, (laughs) like lifting those heavy weights. So what is Allison's routine? So I
1: normally wake up around 5.30 in the morning and I get to the gym around six and I get home around eight or so. Not all of that is just me lifting weights though. That is me coaching. The fitness community is just like a film community where it's there's a lot of people there who are gonna see you fall and fail and do poorly. But again, you're there to better yourself. Just like making a film, you're there to tell a good story. You're there to, to better the world with your art, lifting a heavy weight or hitting a new personal best in terms of weight or running or a time or something that's bettering yourself and bettering the world around you. So I always feel it's about giving back. So for me, fitness is a way that I can help give back. So I do my own workout. I train a couple people and then I come home and depending on how much editing I have to do, I spend the next eight to 10 hours of researching or storyboarding or reaching out to people and doing emails. And uh, that's kind of my day in and day out. But I do that fitness routine.
0: And I can imagine you doing the current, the frog Did you see that film? Sure. I did, did see you. that. Cause that was a bad night. <laughs> For those oh of you who
1: don't know, <laughs> there's a video out there somewhere of me. And I believe it was the 11 o'clock newscast. One of our wonderful reporters was at our satellite desk telling a fantastic story, doing his like intro of like, oh, you know, I'm talking about this, 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 that, and the other. And I, in the meantime, had run to our assignment desk because there was an issue with our push notifications for our web app. And I'm the one who writes the push notification. And something wasn't working. And it's a manual thing. You have to actually click it to send it out. You can't like pitch deck it where you set it up to go out at a certain time. And it had failed. And so I had run to our tech guys to figure it out. We had figured it out and I was trying to run back to my desk and I was so flustered. I was like, oh my God, I just shook my hands in the air at the same exact time that they started rolling on one of our reporters at the assignment desk. So you just see this small little blonde Kermit the Frog freaking out behind a newscaster. <laughs> they didn't catch it in the recording booth, so it went live to air. Yes, I am the, uh, the Kermit of the San Joaquin Valley.
0: One last thing, because I did see this on your Facebook post, and I I don't know if if you're correlated with it, but you shared about that Bay Area singer, MXM Tune, and her video prom dress and how it was shot in the Ignacio Valley High School. Now, were you involved with it, or you were just like a proud warrior? No,
1: I was involved with it. My buddy Richard we did Love Sessie together and a couple other things. He was trying to get a school for her music video. And at the time, I wasn't producing on that particular shoot. I had done a different one with an artist called Audrey Mika, who's blowing up right now. So we had done a music video for her, the one with where she's in a bathtub, like Romeo and Juliet theme. That was one I produced. But Richard was trying to shoot this prom dress one. And he's like, oh, I need access to a high school. And I'm like, ah. Lucky for you, I just happened to have access to a high school, our old high school that we had gone to. And so was able to line up that location for them and was very proud to actually see my school being used for something so cool like that. And it was a beautiful video. Once it was done, they did a great job decorating the hallways. And so I was there for the beginning of the shoot and she was really sweet. That artist was amazing. And her I think her parents came with her. It was super adorable to be on set with them. So that's great that you got involved with
0: these like musical artists too. All
1: through my buddy Richard. But yeah, Audrey, uh, you know, it's funny. She, when we got to Audrey, she wasn't even considering doing a music video. She was still just doing her YouTube thing. And we noticed that her Spotify started getting kind of blown up. People were really liking her. I remember my buddy Richard calling me and keep in mind, I live in the Bay area and I have to commute to Sacramento to do my job at CBS. And he was like, she's never done a music video in her life she doesn't trust me. I cold called her. She thinks I'm some creepy rapist. Like, can you please come and be the female presence in the room? So she knows to take me serious when I pitch her this idea for one of her songs. So I had to stay there and literally just convince her to let us make her a music video because she was worth it. We thought you have this amazing song. You have this amazing style. We think we would mesh really well. And she literally came in thinking she was going to be like punked and did not take us serious for the first like hour. And then when it finally clicked on her, she was there with her friend. I think her friend's now her manager. She kind of was like starstruck that someone would want to do this for her. Cause we were even like, we're gonna front the bill girl. Like we're gonna pay for this video. You don't have to pay anything out of pocket, just show up and let us do this. Cause we're trying to get this production company off the ground you're right there with us in terms of style and what we want to produce and who we want to elevate, right? She's a singer of minority backgrounds. So we're like, we want to elevate you. We want to put you in the forefront. And so she was like, you're, you're kidding, right? And then once we said no, like this is all going to be set up. She was like, oh my God.
0: She's huge. Now she's freaking She's dropping something. Thank you, Allison. Because of you. (laughs) You're welcome. See, it's all it takes is for one person
1: to believe. Lift everybody up, guys. That's what this whole industry is about. When we start getting really selfish and start putting ourselves above others, the artistry goes to poop, and we're not happy with what we're doing. So yeah, lift everybody up if you can.
0: All right. On that note, thank you so much, Allison, for taking your time speaking with me on my podcast. Thank
1: you for making me sound cool and dope and interesting. Would <laughs> <laughs> <See, laughs> I I you have you, KCSS listeners really
0: that my friend Allison Swick helped out on MXM Tune and Audrey Mika's like music projects? See, if you're going to be a journalist, never be afraid to ask questions. The more questions, the better. And that way you get some great content to share. And... Don't be afraid to take on as many internships because it's going to lead you to somewhere. I just want to thank Allison Swick for being on my podcast. And a big thank you to you, KCSS listeners, for tuning in onto the podcast and supporting it. And continue supporting your Valley's True Alternative, KCSS, wherever you listen. And I'm very excited because my next guest is an entrepreneur. And that is all I'm going to say. Have your alerts on for KCSS. Follow them on Instagram at KCSS91.9. Until then, this has been your DJ Chanel. Hasta la vista.